So since we have a couple of people joining us for the first time, let me just brief five minute introduction. Don't, I don't want to bore the rest of you, but there are four classes the church asks every young single adult to take. If you go to church school, they're required to graduate. You cannot graduate from BYU without taking these four classes. You can't graduate from Pathways without taking these four classes. You can't graduate from Institute without taking these four classes. They are Jesus Christ and the Everlasting Gospel. Well, how many pages of Scripture does that class cover? Jesus Christ and the Everlasting Gospel. If we're really going to study Jesus Christ and the Everlasting Gospel, it's Old Testament, New Testament, Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, right? And writings of all the prophets. How many pages would that course cover? Thousands. Okay, the next course is Teachings and Doctrines of the Book of Mormon. It's a topical study of the Book of Mormon instead of a sequential. In seminary and in Come Follow Me, we all went sequential. First Nephi through Moroni 10. But this course is topical. Teachings and Doctrines of the Book of Mormon. So how many pages does that course cover? 531. 531 pages of the Book of Mormon. The next one is Foundations of the Restoration. It's the story of the doctrine of the restoration. If we consider Pearl of Great Price part of that and the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, how many pages would that course cover? Less than 300. So we're going, going from more than 1,000 to 500 to about 300. Then we get to the fourth class, required for graduation. You cannot graduate from a church institution without taking this fourth class. It's called the Eternal Family. How many pages does that course cover in its curriculum? One page. In fact, not even the backside, just one piece, one side of one piece of paper. Now, do you see the message in that? What is the piece of paper that we're studying in this class? The pro a proclamation to the world on the family. So if we pull up that document, we've got an entire class on this piece of paper. Now, how long could we spend talking about this piece of paper? Eons. We spent three weeks talking about one word. And that one word is significant because that one word is central to this whole document. So what we've moved on to is what I consider the skill set. I would not be, I would be disappointed if prophets, seers, and revelators gave us a document on the family that didn't have the skills to make it successful. Here's a whole bunch of warnings, prophecies, definitions, declarations, but there needs to be a skill set, right? It would be silly for prophets, seers, and revelators to say, you have to make the family successful and then not give us the skill set to make families successful. Assumed in that are the living of the gospel, the doctrines in the Book of Mormon, the doctrines in the Restoration. But they specifically have pulled out nine principles it fascinates me that prophets, seers, and revelators said, 
successful marriages and families are established and maintained on nine principles. Established, I think, is an interesting word. In your search for an eternal companion, how then, how important do these nine principles become? They become what I'm looking for. If this is what is required to make a family eternal, I'm looking for these qualities as I search for an eternal companion, as I try to establish. Now, once you're married, is everything just peaches and roses? And we all laugh because the easy part is getting married. The hard part is making it eternal. So we're going to talk about these nine principles. And we've already done two. We did faith and we did prayer. Now we're going to take a look at the next pair. Notice they come together. Faith and prayer are related. And what are the next two? Repentance and forgiveness. It is so significant to me that those are the next two. The third and the fourth principles of a successful family are repentance and forgiveness. Let me just be bold enough to say you are going to marry a sinner. And so will they. You are going to marry a pretty big one, a pretty significant sinner. I mean, major mistakes. And so will they. If your expectation that your spouse be perfect, you are hypocritical because you are not offering that to your spouse. To ask it of your spouse and not offer it to your spouse is hypocritical. Therefore, it's not a matter of, am I marrying someone perfect? No, that's not going to be possible. So the next question is, am I marrying someone willing to repent? And am I willing to repent? So let's see if we can break down. Do you see what we've been doing? We've been taking a grown-up look at all of these. I know we've studied faith and prayer for your whole life. You were probably taught how to pray as a child. And if you stopped the lessons on how to pray after your childhood, you've missed the point. There are childhood lessons on how to pray, and then there are grown-up lessons on how to pray. I absolutely love the moment where the apostles saw Jesus pray and said, could you teach us to pray like that? So grown-ups need to learn to pray. Prayer is successful in families. Faith is successful. So today, let's take a new look at repentance. Now, I, I love all those dear-hearted primary teachers and Sunday school teachers who wanted to help you repent, and so they came up with marvelous lists like the five R's of repentance, or they brought nails and wood, and they pounded, and all those lessons on repentance that may have done more harm than good. So I, I am going to ask that we let the scriptures teach repentance. Not all the preconceived notions that you may have been taught about what repentance is. Perhaps one of the most commonly asked questions I've received in my whole career is something like, 
What if I get to judgment day and there was one sin I forgot to repent of? Then you clearly don't understand what repentance is. If you're worried about that, you clearly don't understand repentance. Because God isn't, oh, there was one they forgot. (laughs) And when I stand before judgment, they they say, oh, you thought you were coming in here? You thought you were going to come in here? Remember this one! (laughs) If that's your perception of your heavenly father, then you are mistaken as to who he is. And you misunderstand repentance. It has been an observation of mine that repentance is perhaps the least understood gospel principle. Now, here's what fascinates me. The Book of Mormon, on at least two occasions, depending on how you phrase it, says faith is blah, blah, blah. It says those words, faith is. Nowhere in the Book of Mormon does it say repentance is. Not once. There is no definition of repentance in the Book of Mormon. I think that's significant. Instead, tell me what the book does. From beginning to end, tell me what the book does. It illustrates. It shows your repentance. And yet, do they all do the same thing? Do they go through the same steps? And I think that's why the book doesn't define it. Is we need to understand that it's unique. It's, it's different for all of us. And yet there's similarities. So what is repentance? Let me start with an interesting article I found in the Ensign once. It was written by a general authority who was receiving his emeritus status. He was being released and he wrote an article. And I almost, I suspect that repentance was a frustration to him. And he wrote this article. Now notice how he begins. This fascinates me. Oh, I just lost it. As a general authority, I have prepared information for the First Presidency to use in considering applications to readmit repentant transgressors into the church and to restore priesthood and temple blessings. If you get excommunicated, it has to come from the First Presidency to allow you to be rebaptized. That comes from the First Presidency. So there are general authorities who prepare those papers, prepare the documents, and then present them to the First Presidency. He was one of them. I have prepared information for the First Presidency to use in considering applications to readmit repentant transgressors into the church and to restore priesthood and temple blessings. Many times a bishop will write, quote, I feel he has suffered enough. In other words, you should let him be rebaptized because he suffered enough. Elder Burton writes, suffering is not repentance. Suffering is not repentance. Suffering comes from a lack of complete repentance. Sometimes a straight president will write, quote, I feel he has been punished enough. We should let him be baptized because he's been punished enough. And yet, punishment 
is not repentance. Repentance isn't being punished enough. Punishment follows disobedience and precedes repentance. A husband will write, quote, my wife has confessed everything. You should let her get baptized because she's confessed everything. And yet, confession is not repentance. Let me say that again. Confession is not repentance. Going to see the bishop and telling him what you've done is not repentance. It's confession. Confession is an admission of guilt that occurs as repentance begins. But confession is not repentance. A wife will write, my husband is filled with remorse. But remorse is not repentance. I fascinate, I've watched my children. I have some pretty smart children who figured out how to get out of timeout. Do you remember what was the magic word that got you out of, what was the magic phrase that got you out of timeout? I'm sorry. <laughs> so I have a pretty smart kid that on the way to timeout starts saying, I'm sorry, mom. I'm so sorry, mom. I won't do it again. He's figured out the magic word that gets you out of timeout. And he plays that card. I'm sorry. Remorse is not confession. Let me say that again. Remorse, being sorry, is not repentance. Remorse and sorrow continue because a person has not yet fully repented. Now notice what he says. Suffering, punishment, confession, remorse, and sorrow may sometimes accompany repentance but they are not repentance. Maybe they're there and maybe they're not, but they're not repentance. So what is repentance? What does it mean to repent? Now it would be, it would take hours, but it would be fascinating to go through the Book of Mormon and push every person on the board who, who repents and to talk and, and to study, what did they do? And you would say, they're all doing the different things. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Okay. Let me give you a couple of people who were told how to repent. Aaron teaches Lamoni's dad how to repent. Turn to Alma chapter 22. Let's take a look at this one. Aaron teaches Lamoni's dad how to repent. Sorry. Thanks, James. Chapter Mar Alma chapter 22. Now, the great question is a beautiful question. Um... Let's start here. What is this? Verse 5. What is this that ye have said concerning the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, this is the thing which doth trouble me. And also, what is this that Ammon said? If ye will repent, ye shall be saved. And if ye won't repent, you'll be cast off for the last day. 
Aaron says, do you believe there's a God? He answers, I testify that there's a God. And he cried, I believe the great spirit created all things. And I believe, we're, I believe that you're going to teach me truth. So Aaron begins to expound from the scriptures the truths since the fall of Adam. Now, verse 15, what shall I do that I may have this eternal life of which thou hast spoken? Yea, what shall I do to be born of God and have this wicked spirit rooted out of my breast and receive his spirit that I may be filled with joy, that I may not be cast off at the last day? Behold, I will give up all, my, all I, that I possess and I will forsake my kingdom that I, that I may receive this great joy. What do I need to do? What was the answer? What was the answer? If thou wilt desire these things, if thou wilt bow down before God, if thou wilt repent of all thy sins, and will bow down before God and call on his name in faith, believing that ye shall receive, then shalt thou receive the hope which thou desirest. Now, if I were a clever primary teacher or Sunday school teacher, I could make a really nice list from that verse on how to repent, right? Good advice? Yeah. Did, do, would you agree that Lamoni's father repented? In verse 18. And so if we get to the end of the story, oh God, Aaron hath told me that there is a God. And if there is a God, wilt thou make thyself manifest unto me? And I will give away all my sins to know thee. Would you call that repentance? Yes. Do you think Heavenly Father was pleased with this? Does what happened to Lamoni's dad indicate that Heavenly Father was pleased with this? So if Heavenly Father recognized his 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 repentance, who are we to question it, right? Now, could I come up with a definition that in order to repent, you have to give away all your sins? Yeah. I could say that. But other places in the Book of Mormon, it doesn't necessarily say that. Let's do another one. James? I just think it's interesting because I definitely remember the primary lessons and growing up in the church and Sunday school lessons where it's just like, yep, and, you know, suffered. And I don't think after this moment he, you know, stands to his feet and goes, I feel terrible. Yeah. You know, it's just like, I, I'm suffering for my sins or, you know, that, that thought. Now, I think maybe some things occurred afterward where he was kind of like saddened, but I don't think he looked back as far as like, oh, I guess I haven't repented. So is it safe to say that perhaps Lamoni's dad didn't complete the five R's of repentance as we've been taught. And yet, did Heavenly Father acknowledge his repentance? So you see the challenge? And I don't mean to diminish anything that's been taught. I think they were well-intended in many ways, but I just want to point out that the Book of Mormon takes a totally different approach. Because what you're, what you're saying, because he was like, oh, yes, I bowed down. He like, said these specific words. No, what he did was he was giving his sins to God. There was a communication, and he did that. There's no specific words. There's no 
it's a matter of submitting your will to God rather than because you're like if you if you're looking for a checklist there, then you're looking at it from the wrong angle. That I wish the whole church could have heard you say that. <laughs> I wish every primary teacher and Sunday school teacher that I had as a youth could have heard you say that. It's don't get caught up in the specifics, but see the spirit of what he's doing. Now, let me show you an example of a completely different list. Ready? A completely different list. And yet God acknowledges their repentance. Turn to Helam in chapter 5 about the prison where the Nephi and Lehi were surrounded by the, the fire. So jump to Helam in chapter 5. Do you remember the shadow, the, the darkness that overshadows them? And they asked the same question. They asked the same question that Lamoni's dad asked. What do I need to do to get out of this? Verse 40. Aminadab is speaking for them and says, What shall we do that this cloud of darkness may be removed from overshadowing us? What do I need to do? Okay, here's the answer. You must repent and cry unto the voice, even until you have faith in Christ, who was taught unto you by Alman, Amulek, and Zeezrom. And when ye shall do this, the cloud of darkness shall be removed from overshadowing you. So they do. They cried unto the voice. The darkness was dispersed. The fire encircles them. And they were filled with... Did God acknowledge their repentance? Now, if I were making a list, what would the list be? Cry unto the voice until you have faith. None of those were mentioned to Lamoni's dad. And yet, does God acknowledge this, their repentance? The fire acknowledges their repentance. Their joy acknowledges their repentance. The reception of the Holy Ghost acknowledges their repentance. Do you see? You can't look at the outward. You have to say, okay, what are the common elements that's going on in all of these? Let me show you a very famous one. Alma chapter 36. Tell me what Alma the younger does to repent. All that's listened now, I know there's a lot that's not spoken and not said, but what is said? Alma chapter 36. Here's his repentance. O Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me, who am in the gall of bitterness. And am encircled out by the flames, encircled about by the everlasting chains of death. That's all he said. Now, did he bow down and cry unto the list, the, the, the voice until he had faith? Did he offer to give away all his sins? He simply said, O Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me. Does God acknowledge his repentance? When I thought this, I could remember my pains no more. I was hard up in the memory of my sins no more. Does God acknowledge his repentance? 
Do you see what the Book of Mormon's doing? And do you see the problem we've had in trying to teach this? Sometimes we teach the actions of repentance. Now, I'd love to spend hours going person by person, group by group, and pointing out how they repent. Have we done enough to see a pattern? Can we do just that and see patterns? Abby? Sorry, can I give my definition? Okay. Repentance. Uh, so, um, I think it's easiest to understand when I remember that sin is missing the mark or whatever. Because um, then it's clear that repentance is just straightening your aim, I guess, at eternal life. That's okay. So I would suggest, as I have studied the Book of Mormon and tried to ask the question, what do they all have in common? Now, I want to put those two comments together. What I see everyone in the Book of Mormon who's repenting doing, I see two common elements. Number one, I loved your phrase. Remember your phrase? They connect with Christ. They make a connection. They invite Christ into their life. And number two, they make a change. They correct. They straighten the path. They make a correction. So they, they get Jesus into their life and they make a change. Now, let me see if we can talk about both of those. Now, I know I want to bring this back to the family. What I'm hearing the brethren say is the greatest sort, the, the, the secret sauce of making families work is that everyone in the family, specifically mom and dad, are in a constant state of repentance. Individually, as a couple, and as a family. I need to repent of the sins I commit individually. I need to repent of what I do to her and I need to repent of what I do to them. If we are all in a state of repentance, constant repentance, there's the secret sauce. And I would beg and pray that you marry someone who always repents, who is willing to always repent. And you can see that. You can look for these two. So that's where we're going. Now let's see if we can divine the two. I was just going to say that like for repentance, that it shouldn't just be like an event. It shouldn't just be like a life switch. And it should be a lifestyle. And I love what these two did. Repentance is fixing a relationship. And repentance is fixing a direction I'm going. And you would, I think you'd agree that's not a one-time thing. Repentance is restoring a relationship that I've damaged. And repentance is restoring a path I was on and deviated. So if we're looking for a definition of repentance, you're not going to find it in the Book of Mormon. But I think you will find it in the New Testament. 
I love to teach the definition of repentance in the Book of Mormon, or sorry, in the New Testament, and then illustrate it in the Book of Mormon and say, this is what repentance is. Now, watch every single one of these do exactly that. A little bit differently, but it's all the similar. They all, this is what they all have in common. So turn with me to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, who was the prophet of repentance? Whose name is associated with teaching the gospel of repentance? Over and over and over again, he was known as the prophet of repentance. His name was John the Baptist. Jesus refers to him often with, with repentance in the title. So go with me to Luke chapter, I'm going to do this version because it'll be faster. So Luke chapter 3. Now, I'm, if we, I'm not everyone's digital. So if you're print, we're going to flip to the Joseph Smith change in just a moment. Those of you who have digital, are gonna, it's going to be a little bit easier. So I'm going to start revealing my footnotes so we can do that. Now, notice verse 3. Luke chapter 3, verse 3. It came to pass, and he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance. John taught repentance. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, I wish I could mark, you know what, I'm going to, let me pull up my print scripture for a second because I want to draw. I think it's very important. Allow me to ask you to define this word. He said, repent. Oh, wait, wait, I missed it. Sorry. It's in verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I want you to tell me whose voice. Most of us connect that to John. John said, prepare for Jesus. Make a different connection. Who is speaking? Who is the voice? Repentance is speaking. Repentance is speaking, not John. This isn't specific to John preparing the people for Jesus at that moment. He's saying repentance is crying in the wilderness, saying what? What is repentance asking you to do? Tell me what repentance is asking you to do. Get Jesus into your life. Repentance is saying, get Jesus into your life. That's repentance. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now it uses an analogy here. 
Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be brought low, the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough shall be made smooth. Why can't Jesus come into my life? What's one reason Jesus can't come into my life? What have I done? Me? Christ. What have I done? I put a valley between us. My actions put a valley between us. And so what is repentance? Fill the valley. Or what's the next analogy? Why can't, I, why can't Jesus come into my life? Because I build a mountain. Have you ever felt that mountain? I know you have. I know you have felt the distance between you and Christ. You have felt a barrier between you and Christ. Now, in a marriage, that extends to husband and wife. Sometimes I've done something and I have felt a mountain between me and my wife. And the way I make the mountain between my wife and I go away is how? I, I get Jesus back in my life. What happens to the mountain between my wife and I when I get Jesus back in my life by tearing the mountain between he and I down? Do you see the magic formula? Do you see why repentance makes families work? The barrier between my wife and I will go away when the mountain between Jesus and I goes away. Those of you who have made temple covenants, I think you're familiar with the sign of the compass. I love drawing it like this because this is me, this is her, and this is Jesus. This is Christ. How do I get closer to my wife? I fix this distance. If I fix this distance and she fixes this distance, what will naturally happen to this distance? That's why families need repentance to work. Yes, I need to apologize to my wife. I need to tear down the barrier between her and I. But far more important than that is that I tear down the barrier between me and Christ. And by doing that, I will tear down the barrier between her and I. Sarah. Oh, um, I, like, I love the thought of repentance as a voice. And I love how it says in the wilderness, because at times when I've repented, it felt like I was in the wilderness. Yeah. And the wilderness in the scriptures, and to me, it's like when you're away from the Savior, and you're like in this, this kind of scary place where you're not protected by, you know, your, your people yeah. or the Savior. And so I just wrote that down, that it's okay to be in the wilderness when you're repenting, but when you do, then you come out of it. Yeah, repentance is getting out of the wilderness by smoothing out the path. Get Jesus in your life. Now, this is where we'll turn to the, the Joseph Smith translation. Now, let me do it in both verses so you can see. So here I am in the print. If you go to verse 4a, there's an appendix. So this is the one you want to open. Open that JST. In footnote 4a, open that JST. Now, if you're print, you need to flip to the back, and it'll look like this. It's on page 789, and here's the Joseph Smith chain. So let, let me, I'll just use the print version, but you'll find the same list in your electronic scriptures. Ready? Notice, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. 
he shall come. If you invite him, he'll come. Now tell me, I just love these verbs here. Tell me what he will do if I let, if I bring him back into my life. If I tear down the mountain or lift up the valley or smooth out the path or straighten it, whatever I need to do to get him back in my life, if he comes into my life, tell me what he will do. First of all, let's do this one. He will take things away that need to be taken away. Jesus in my life will take away. He will bring. Now think about family. Getting Jesus into my life will bring what? Not only into my life, but into my family. What would getting Jesus into my life bring to my family? That's a marvelous list, isn't it? Jesus will take away, he will bring, and he will, he will gather. Do you see the image of family here? He will gather. There is magic in repentance. There is magic when everyone in the family, especially when they've pushed Jesus out of the family, seeks to get him back. What gets gathered? Do you see the reference to family here? Okay, what's the next one? He gathers all these wonderful things, gathers the lost, the dispersed, the afflicted. What else will happen if I bring Jesus into my life? He will prepare. He will prepare the way, and I love the last one. What's this one? He will make possible. If you don't see a way to survive, if you don't see a way to save your marriage or a child, then you need Jesus. You need to get him back and he will prepare the way and make it possible. What does he bring? What else does he bring? He brings light. He brings can he resurrect a marriage, a relationship with a child or a parent? He will bring light and resurrection and he will allow us to dwell with the father or really he will allow the father to dwell with us. Repentance is getting him back into my life. Now, when we speak of, you know, going to the bishop to confess or, or restitution and all the things that we've often associated with repentance, is that really possible on a day-to-day basis? <laughs> Poor bishop, right? <laughs> but getting Jesus back into my life, is that something I can do day-to-day, hour-to-hour? What do I need to do right now to get him back into my life? That's repentance. And guess what every single person in the Book of Mormon that's repenting is doing? What do they all have in common? And that's why I love the simplest one. Remember, the simplest one was Alma the Elder who simply said what? 
O Jesus, thou Son of God, have mercy on me. What was implied in that? Come back to my life. Whitney. Question can to make sure I'm following. Then repentance is kind of like, it, it's a personal thing. It's kind of like personal revelation. Like you have to figure out how the Spirit speaks to you. So from what I'm understanding, from what I'm learning, for me, I guess, I have to figure out how I get Christ back into my life personally. Because, you know, like for Alma, it was like, I just really need to cry this out. And for other people, I feel like it's like something different. See, that's the beauty. That's what I love about the Book of Mormon. It never says, this is what you do. But over and over and over again, it says, well, this is what Alma did. And this is what Lamoni did. And this is what Lamoni's dad did. And can you see common elements in all of them so that you can know what you need to do to get Jesus to run, da- run back into your life? What will get him to come back into your life? Abby. So um, I had a really powerful experience and I didn't realize it, but I was repenting. Um, but does that mean that I didn't repent? No, that's the thing is, is it always the same thing for every transgression? That's what the Book of Mormon is teaching. How seven-year-old Bryce got Jesus into my life is not at all how 54-year-old Bryce gets Jesus into his life. And last week's Bryce doesn't necessarily get Jesus into his life how this week's Bryce does it. That's what I love about the concept is the common element is I need to connect and restore a relationship, not fix something that was broken, unless it was the relationship that was broken. I am fixing a relationship with Christ. Now, do I need to fix a relationship with my spouse? Yes, and I need to work on that. But what I think the doctrine is teaching, the very best way to fix the relationship with my spouse is how? To fix my relationship with Christ. That's why, that's the secret sauce of families. Is I have to fix my relationship with Christ. Here, here, and then there. I just think it's about understanding the love that Christ has for us. Because I think even if we have mountains or valleys or whatever, he's still coming to us. Yeah. It just takes a whole lot longer. And he can hurdle quite a bit. (laughs) Yes. He can hurdle quite a bit. And the reality is, do I need to pull that whole thing down before he comes back? No. Any effort I make to say, I want the relationship fixed, he says, I'm in it. And I think just something else that kind of came clear, because I know this is probably the most commonly quoted talk in repentance is His Grace is Sufficient by Brad Wilcox. But I never really understood it until seeing this. It's just that, like, he is the way, but he comes and meets us where we're at. Yeah. He doesn't say, no, you have to get rid of half the mountain and then I'll come. It's like some people, it's a shovel, shovel full away from the mountain and he goes, I'm here. Yeah. Like you, you took that step forward. And other people, you know, it's just figuring out individually what works. So how do you measure whether or not you've been forgiven? He came back. You got him. You've repented. If you have him, 
If you have him today, then what does that say about all the transgressions of the past? Do you see that? Jesus in my life with the relationship restored, that's the common element of every Book of Mormon person who profits, or every Book of Mormon prophet or person who repents. Um, just kind of going along that a little bit. Um, I was also thinking about how one thing that I think is important to know and remember with repentance is that, because this can happen sometimes, is if it's involved with like another person, of if they don't accept your repentance, that that doesn't really matter. No, it's me and Jesus. You have repented. Yep. Even if they won't accept you or forgive you or anything. Yep. That you have repented. And the, sometimes people feel like they never get to repent because someone's not going to forgive them. Yep. So. It's the relationship with Christ. And I think that's very important to understand. It's the relationship with Christ. That's why I keep, I truly believe the best way to fix my relationship with my spouse is not to focus on my relationship with my spouse, it's to focus on my relationship with Christ. That's the magic sauce. Sir. So with your pyramid or your triangle, and I love that, but some of us have just the one side, yeah. right? But I love, Temporarily. I love that repenting solidifies that relationship with the Savior, right? So, and then when you have a relationship with the Savior, you feel peace and, and comfort. Yep. And so repentance, I feel like I'm older, and just like you were saying, I, I learned repentance was so scary and like a punishment, but I've learned now that repentance, like, Binds me to my Savior. Yeah. And then He's there for me. And so when Abby said, like, oh, I had this beautiful, powerful experience, does that mean maybe I didn't know? It's like, oh, you have this to hang on to now. So that when you sin again or make a mistake, you're like, oh, no, I want to go back to that feeling. Yeah. And you just turn to Him again. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. That's right. Just something that's been repeatedly nailing into my head this entire time. You said... Some of us don't have that second side of the triangle. That's not true. Like, just like you just put up with the child, it's been repeatedly hitting me. That second side could be replaced with anyone, really. Yeah. Like, for me specifically, it's been thinking about my father specifically. I had a bunch of rough stuff, but there's also siblings. Or, heck, this could even work with friends or people you've just met. You got it. Now, I can focus on that relationship, which is good, or I can heal that relationship by focusing on which one. And so no matter who the person is, someone who doesn't have a spouse to complete that triangle has others in their life that will allow me to do the same thing. And the magic sauce of families, the secret sauce, is that as I get Jesus into my life, He brings all those things into our lives. I can cause Him to bring peace into my home, even if I'm the only one in the home that repents. Now, the more people that repent, the more He brings the peace into our home. Do you see the simplicity of repentance and yet its complexity at the same time and why the Book of Mormon never says, here's what you do every time? 
But what you do every time is connect with him. So let me end with a quotation from C.S. Lewis. This is one of my favorites. C.S. Lewis said the following. You say that's why it's important to hear him? Yeah. To know how he's speaking to you. To know how he's speaking to you. Someone want to read this? Whitney, would you mind? Placate. Isn't that what the Greeks worship? That's what the Greeks thought, right? Let's offer a sacrifice so the gods are happy. Let's placate an angry power. I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Let me off this time. At the highest level, the attempt is rather to restore an infinitely valued and vulnerable personal relationship, which has been shattered by an action of one's own. If forgiveness in the crude sense of remission of penalty comes in this is valued chiefly as a symptom or seal or even by product of reconciliation. So Abby was worried about the remission of the penalty. Don't worry about the remission of the penalty. Worry about what? And if you've reconciled, then what do you know about the remission of the penalty? Now, church repentance is a different subject. If you want, we can talk about that as well. But the heart and soul, the secret sauce of families working together is that everyone is seeking to get Jesus in my life. And if, I, if he comes, he will bring, he will prepare, he will make possible, light, resurrect, all that. The one thing that every single Book of Mormon prophet person, it's more than the prophets who repent, the one thing that every Book of Mormon character who repents has in common, the two things, the one we're talking about is a reconciliation with Christ. And the second one is a correction of the path they're on, which we'll have to do next week.